You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by Open Text Public Sector Executive and Global Government Thought Leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. What we see in the FY22 budget is, you know, a realization that this is going to be a sort of permanent situation for us um, when it comes to things like the importance of cloud, um, the remote federal workforce, which I think is going to be permanently at least quasi-remote. And that's going to introduce vulnerabilities, um, in, you know, for government, for government agencies, for their networks, which, which obviously industry solutions can can address. So, yeah, I, I think the importance, and you sort of keyed in on this earlier. I can't, I can't underscore the importance of stickiness with your customer, right? Yeah. Because you know th- this pandemic is going to continually evolve, and it's going to create urgency for your customers in, in dealing with these challenges, um, especially around security and cloud. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And around the world, government organizations buy IT solutions when funds are available and tied to a program that helps meet their mission. And to be successful in this market, you need experience analyzing the public sector landscape, aggregating market intelligence insights, and unearthing opportunities to drive growth. And today's show is a really special one because our guest is going to help you do just that. Lloyd McCoy is the Market Intelligence Director at DLT Solutions and in charge of Market Intelligence Direction, including sizing addressable markets, uncovering key opportunities for their channel partners and technology vendors, and developing intelligence assets that inform the creation of high-impact sales and marketing strategies and plans. He has more than 15 years of experience building and leading U.S. public sector-focused analytics teams, and his research is highly sought after in the channel partner and technology vendor communities. Prior to working in private industry, Lloyd was a senior analyst in the intelligence community for eight years, serving in a variety of senior analytic and management positions in the U.S. and abroad. And he's also the president of AFSIA Nova, a professional association chapter of AFSIA with nearly 6,000 members that focuses on connecting industry and government. Lloyd, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brian, and thanks for the invite. It's always good to talk to you. We have a shared history, uh, and so I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't believe we, we haven't caught up sooner. I'm so glad to have you on the show uh, for a number of reasons, and I'm not going to put down your your Dallas Cowboys as I've done it, as I've done <laughs> I knew in the that past. Was <laughs> yeah, I, you, you had to have. Um, but I I will say, I, I first of all, I appreciate you sending over a copy of your your state of the market report for for federal government. Yeah, um, a yeah. lot a lot to dive into here, and, and I'm excited about this conversation. But one of the first questions I have for you is because there is so much information here. As you dug into this and some of the trends and some of the numbers, was there anything that really stuck out to you surprisingly? Absolutely, yes. So just a bit of background to the readers. Uh, so, you know, my my role is to uh, provide market intelligence to DLT's uh, clients, our, our IT vendors, and and their partners. Um, sort of get them to the left of the demand signal and, and help them figure out where. Um, uh, you know where, where requirements and and budget coalesce, and, and thus where where there's opportunities. And so that's that's one of the many quivers in in DLT's, um, or rather many arrows in DLT's quiver 
of uh, value-added uh, added services. And so what I did was put together a, a deep dive into FY22 um, priorities and trends. Um, and, and to answer your question, Brian, yeah, a couple of a couple of takeaways. Um, you know, I are I. Um, eyebrow arching moments um, was, you know, the number of these uh, of funds, reserve funds that I saw sprinkled throughout the uh, FY22 budget. Um, some of you might be familiar with the Technology Modernization Fund, which is sort of a, uh, uh, a, a repository, an investment bucket for, for modernization projects that, are, that agencies can tap into. But there, there were others in the FY22 budget, like 750 million for agency IT enhancements. Um, there was there were dollars for uh, various dollars sprinkled around for cyber response and recovery. So there, there's definitely this concerted effort to to get at you know fast and agile um, sort of acquisition methods uh, that that address. You know, emergent you know technology uh, needs uh, specifically with with cyber in mind. Um, now, the FY twenty two budget is still a request, uh, as as you no doubt heard. Um, we are not yet at a uh, at, at a formal appropriated budget. I, um, I think anybody yeah. who does business with the government is pretty used to that by now, yeah, too. Yeah, though. exactly. It's been I think over ten years, right? Since we yeah. Formal budget on time, um, so a lot, a lot can change. But I, I do think that that those funds, those pockets of money, will will remain um, after the, after the dust settles. So that that was one thing that stood out. Um, another one was the amount of money that was dedicated to, you know, researching climate climate science. So there's a lot of IT dollars on the order of billions that are um, uh, spread out across. Any agency with a climate adjacent mission, um, money going towards data collection, analysis, you know, uh, customer, uh, public facing portals, that sort of thing, and it surprised me. And then, <laughs> and then it surprised me that it would surprise me because uh, you know all one had to do last year during the campaign cycle is you know turn on the TV for a few seconds and, and see that that was a priority by the uh, by the mighty Biden administration. So. In a way, it's not a surprise, but it still was a surprise. Yeah, I can understand that. And, yeah. and we've, we view that as kind of sustainability, part of that sustainability play. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, to mm -hmm. me, I've found is government has really shifted in how they approach funding. They're a little bit more strategic around outcomes versus the technology. And, and you just gave a couple examples of yeah. some of the things going towards uh, climate change support and and where those fundings go around data analysis, data collection, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. anybody listening, I, I would implore you as you are going to market to take a look at what the outcomes are that government's looking to get to and really have those type of conversations with your customer, because it's not always about the technology. They need our help from the private sector to also understand what's out there to get them from A to Z and really be successful. So don't, think of yourself as a technology company that focuses here. So say I hear climate change and maybe that isn't germane to me. No, it really is because there's so many different facets mm -hmm. to what the government's looking to do and leverage technology to impact that. So something to, to keep in mind, something you mentioned early on there around the agile way through acquisition and procurement. And it, it kind of brought to mind OTAs. I think yeah. I saw a stat out there that 
in 2020, especially um, on during going through the pandemic, OTAs reached 18 billion dollars um, as a as a transaction vehicle because they were able to leverage these to get more agile technologies in place quickly, yeah. and and especially around R and D and so on and so forth. Any any thoughts on where you see that progressing? I would think we, we might not break a record again in in 2021 or 2022 going forward. But do you see OTAs continuing to to be leveraged in this way to be more agile, or are you thinking that perhaps they might see that this vehicle was used in in the manner that it was, and maybe take a look at some of the uh, transactional methods and, and do some adjustments there to allow for a more sustainable uh, procurement process. Yeah, that that number. Yeah, good question. That number is very close to um, you know G- GAO did a study uh, recently uh, on OTA spending, and uh, I, I was seeing sixteen to seventeen billion. So eighteen billion that you cite is close. So it's around that around that number. Um, yeah, I think I think OTAs you know will, will continue to be popular. I, I don't think uh, so. If it's a sixteen to eighteen billion now or FY twenty and was about i think the consensus was about two billion about five years ago so you can see you know if you if you were to graph that trajectory right there's a steep it's pretty dramatic uh, yeah I think, the, slow. I think i think the words i saw were unprecedented surge <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i i don't i don't see the the slope being that steep um in the out year the next five years or so but certainly growing um you know for for a number of reasons you know thinking of dod in this case you know they're they're They've in my conversations, you know, they're they're ter- determined to to go get after you know the cutting edge technologies that are out there and, and integrate them into military operations. Um, and I know civilians same way, same there. So yeah, for those listening, um, you know, positioning to to bid on OTA contracts should should continue to be an important strategy. Um, speed the speed that that comes with OTAs is still extremely attractive for, you know, agency decision-making. Um, and, and when, when you look at the technology areas, um, where OTA spending is going, you know, machine learning, you know, uh, unmanned system space, you know, quantum, which goes right over my head, um, <laughs> 5G blockchain, you know, these are things that are going to be more fully realized through the 2020s. And, it's it's the Silicon Valley's, the research triangles, the Northern Virginia, all of these clusters of of um, you know high tech companies that are that are non traditional that that are at the cutting edge, right? And so um, and they would not otherwise enter into a contract with the federal with the federal government if it wasn't for the OTAs. So yeah, I think you'll continue to see that upward trend. It won't be as steep as what we saw through. You know, FY sixteen through through twenty, but um, yeah, it's still going to be a favored tool in I think acquisition that, arsenal. Yeah, I think that was something that was really a trend that that obviously was catalyzed by COVID, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another another question I have for you when it comes to the pandemic: How do you think the the pandemic has really driven spending beyond just procurement vehicles? But when we take a look at at what was requested for the FY twenty two budget, how do you see the pandemic impacting some of those budget requests? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt that the the pandemic um, was and continues to be a drive a driver and uh, an accelerant. I, I like to use um, for for spending. Um, I, you know, FY twenty was a was a banner year. It was a record year in terms of IT spend. 
um, because it had, you know, it had uh, the stimulus funding had a lot to do with that. And what we're seeing in FY20, uh, 22 rather, is a lot of those, um, a lot of those sp stimulus dollars that would have otherwise been, um, you know, part of a CARES Act or American Rescue Plan, actually part of agency IT budgets. So what we're seeing is FY20 levels, you know, remember FY20 had the help of the stimulus funding and FY21 as well, but at FY, but for FY22, it's part of the actual appropriated um, dollars that, that Congress will approve in, in, in a couple of months. So that, that's good news that we're at those, those record levels um, um, through the normal um, sort of acquisition budget, budget cycle without the help of stimulus funding. And I think we will see, continue to see, um, you know, stimulus dollars, probably a little, a little lower, or much less than what we've seen before with the American Rescue Plan and CARES Act. But I would not be surprised if we, um, if we see one or two more smaller um, stimulus, stimulus packages in, in the coming, coming years. I'm sort of taking a pessimistic uh, outlook when it comes to the, the, the pandemic. Um, but to answer your, to go back to your sort of meandering there, but to answer your question about, you know, the role of the pandemic. Yeah. From, from a dollars and cents perspective, FY22 is looking to be, you know, at a record year to $97 billion. But what's interesting to me is the more you know, intangible impact that the pandemic has had, I think, on on technology acquisition, um, it it proved to be a, a very uh, you know visible reminder of of the importance of speed and agility. Mm -hmm. And I think the approval of a billion dollars to the technology ad uh, monetization sure. fund is is an important. Um, I, I think reflects that, right? And as we talked about, the continued popularity of, of OTAs as well. Um, and I think what we see in the FY22 budget is, you know, a realization that um, th this is going to be a sort of permanent situation for us um, when it comes to things like the importance of cloud, um, the remote federal workforce, which I think is going to be uh, permanently, at least quasi remote. Um, and that's going to introduce vulnerabilities, um, in, you know, for government for government agencies for their networks, which which obviously industry solutions can can address. So, um, just to wrap up your your, your question, yeah, I, I think the importance, and you sort of keyed in on this earlier, you know, the important. I can't I can't underscore the importance of stickiness with your customer, right? Yeah, because you know th this pandemic is going to continually evolve. Um, and it's going to create urgency or urgencies for your customers in, in dealing with these challenges, um, especially around security and, and cloud. I had a side conversation with, uh, with Suzette Kent, the former federal CIO. Yeah. And one of the things she said when the TMF came out was, I would have loved to have a billion dollars <laughs> at my disposal to, to tackle some of the challenges we had, even pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, uh, let alone being being part of that through throughout COVID. So I can imagine um, what the, the the legislators have in store for, for some of this funding. And I think I, I saw that of the billion dollars, there's been two point three billion dollars in requests. So obviously, people understand the value of this money, and they're trying to go after it and leverage it to to modernize their systems. And you touched on something around cloud. I think cloud's an, an important aspect of it because I think it was 
one of the the large drivers um, of technology adoption throughout COVID. Um, it, one of the things in your report you mentioned was that cloud smart is is a large driver of cloud adoption as well. I'm curious to understand yeah. how you see that being a driver and, and what the differences are. And I think we know some of them, right? But what the differences are between cloud smart and cloud first, because cloud first has been around for uh, close to a decade now and cloud smart's now becoming a driver. So where are some of the variances there? Sure. Yeah. Good question. Um, so yeah, cloud first, as you mentioned, about a decade, you know, when, when cloud computing was still um, you know, relatively new. And it just, when you read it, it, it just states that, you know, the federal government you know, should very strongly consider cloud, right? Moving to cloud. Um, but it, it didn't really provide specific guidance on how to, on the how, right? On how to accomplish cloud adoption. So fast forward, you know, a decade later and cloud smart, um, provides more than more guidance around security and and things like procurement and, and workforce skills and so this was the, the White House's attempt to put some 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 actionable steps around cloud adoption and modernization and and one of the the ways that it manifested in in terms of opportunity and contracts and things like that and spending is that it helped agencies find um, low hanging loan hanging fruit projects like enterprise email migration. Um, and it helped drive the government, and this is very, very key, take a really hard look at security as, as an impediment to cloud adoption. And so that led to um, revised guidance around trusted internet connections, so or, or TICs, and um, the, the guidance around remote work you know, a branch offices, traditional trusted internet connections led to um, opportunities downstream for vendors, uh, especially when, when the pandemic came around because there, we, we then had, our agencies then had guidance around how to get after uh, improving uh, security when you have a remote workforce. Um, and and so through the tick guidance, through the some of the elements around low hanging fruit, um, uh, Cloud Smart has been very instrumental, more, more so than Cloud First, in in helping guide agencies to improve their their cloud adoption. Another another role that it had um, is that it sped up FedRAMP authorization. Um, it, it made it you know they gave guidance to GSA and OMB to to study the ATO process and and uh, try to make it more stream, streamlined, more more standardized. And I think that that was a major. Not the only, but a major reason why we are seeing um, reduced times that, that it takes for a customer or co companies to receive um, ATOs. So, yeah, CloudSmart has been very instrumental. I, I think it's not not over. There, there's still some few remaining action items from CloudSmart, um, one of which is uh, a, a list of GSA recommended GWACs that, that agencies um, should use for cloud procurement. So, so obviously you want to you want to keep your ear to the ground for for any announcements. Um, and then lastly, you know, I'll say that this Cloud Smart is an example. I teach a fundamentals selling to government class. This is a prime example of how you know a when you read it, a boring policy or, or executive <laughs> order can can impact IT procurement. It's always down the road. You know, these things take time to reflect and in app appropriations and, and then contracts. But yeah, I, I think CloudSmart 
I would say is a very successful evolution from from cloud first. You you touched on FedRAMP and and while I have you on here, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit because this is a huge value to me as well. Um, One of the things you mentioned in your report was around reciprocity potentially being being looked at for CMMC, which I I think would be a massive uh, win for some of the private sector entities, including myself, who who are looking to navigate CMMC certain levels and figuring all that out. Yeah. But um, but the other aspect too is the the state ramp evolution and kind of what that's mm-hmm. looking like. I'm curious to get your take um, on the CMMC piece and also your opinion on whether you think we might see reciprocity built in around that state ramp requirement because there isn't a whole lot of transparency there right now. It's just kind of slowly evolving. Um, I think ulti- ultimately we'll get there and we'll have a little bit more insight into where we're going to go around state ramp, especially. But I'm curious to get your thoughts based on what you've seen in the market. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's something that's still fluid. Uh, DOD is looking at how they would they would tackle reciprocity of FedRAMP and and CMMC. Um, and and I, the verdict isn't out yet, but there there are some pilots that are that are ongoing to understand how that would work. You know, I think what you're going to see is because um, it. You know, CMMC and FedRAMP are, are, are different things. Um, there will be some level of, of reciprocity, but it, it won't be necessarily um, universal. You know, one 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 for one. So some aspects of of um, FedRAMP authorization can apply towards CMMC. You know, cert- certification, and I think the same it's the same for state ramp. Um, you know, my my information is less. Is less detailed on, on state ramp, but I think what we're seeing, at least with Fed ramp and state ramp, is that Fed ramp um, authorization is being used as a um, sort of as, as a as a fast track for for state ramp, right? Well, so it seems here. like state ramp was kind of built on the guidance of what Fed ramp was delivering for federal governments yes. anyway. I think naturally we might evolve there, but um, obviously yeah. there's a, there's a lot more than just saying, hey, we should just have reciprocity. I think it, it's got to be formalized, right? It, yeah, and it has to make sense, right? Just, mm-hmm. just to do it. Yes, the the driver, you know, to, to reduce. Um, there's a powerful driver to reduce cost and duplication of certifi- certification efforts. Yeah, but CMMC and FedRAMP do measure different things. Um, but I do think that they will figure out a way to, again, maybe not one for one, but um, apply some of the FedRAMP certification towards towards CMMC. I, I think you're exactly right because I, I we look at FedRAMP and it's really around the, the data security levels and things like that. And CMMC speaks to data security, but it speaks also to processes and, and things beyond even beyond. what FedRAMP covers yeah. um, for, for various reasons, right? I mean, I, I, we had Katie Arrington on the show close to a year ago and we were going into some of the details around the re- rationale behind the CMMC and, and some of them are pretty scary. So the idea that they're building a program like this, I think is... Yeah. incredibly important. And I think FedRAMP is just a, a piece of that. So I think complete and holistic reciprocity from FedRAMP to CMMC might be no. a little bit of a stretch, but I, I agree with you. I think a, a piece of that, I'm hoping ultimately we get to a point where we can, at least from a cloud security standpoint around data and data sovereignty, we get to a point where FedRAMP and, and other measures globally can start to build reciprocity. So vendors can can do work on a global scale and not have to go through every single compliance measure. I think it's one of one of the values that working with some of these public cloud 
vendors are going to bring, especially around around data sovereignty. Another thing we t- we touched on too was around big data, and mm-hmm. and you you called this out as big data playing a role in not only increasing productivity and, re- and in reducing costs, which I completely agree with, sure. but but also the the role of data driving cloud adoption forward in government. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of programs out there, a lot of opportunities out there, um, more so in FY22 than we've seen in previous years. Um, for, for folks, vendors who are in that, the data analytics space um, and, and who have, you know, solutions to, you know, to, to increase productivity and reduce costs, you know, RPA is, is huge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, DOD and civilian, you know, you have the JAIC, the Joint AI Center, which is uh, looking at, you know, how, you know, how RPA can be used to, to you know, bring about cost savings, that sort of thing. Um, you know, a lot of citizen facing applications um, you know, with, with virtual assistants. And I think, yeah, I think, I think the name of the DHS one is Emma. So it um, it's pretty cool. It, it can accurately respond to human language as for uh, citizenship, citizenship and immigration. There's a lot of use cases, a lot of dollars that are out there, um, and uh, for 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 big data. And you mentioned AI, or you mentioned cloud. Yeah, I mean it, it is seen as as critical um, for for scaling and making possible. Um, uh, yeah, uh, big data. Right. It is. Uh, just to give you an example of of DOD, um, you know the, the the primary customer with respect to AI and big data is the warfighter, and um, the you know they they are in disconnected and disparate uh, places of, of the world, right? And in order mm-hmm. to to really um, effectively um, uh, make make that AI generated information or application useful. Um, it needs to be easy to develop, secure, update, and, and use in, in the field. And guess what makes that? Guess what makes that possible? Cloud, right? So, um, and what what I've seen just in examining the federal budget is, uh, you know, how how the CIOs, how these program managers want to use AI is to consolidate it, consolidate, you know, all that artificial intelligence or AI generated information into cloud platforms uh, so that it can be analyzed with with AI tools and, and, and delivered to users you know, much faster than with current manual processes. So yeah, AI or cloud is, is crucial for, for big data and, and AI to, to work. I, to scale. Yeah, I think personalization at scale is important and, and flexibility mm-hmm. at scale is important. And, and you Definitely mm-hmm. talked about the warfighter and DOD, so I want to stay there for a second, sure. because we're we're coming out of a period of time where uh, Jedi has has kind of been thrust aside, and the DOD, rightfully so, is really embracing the the multi cloud, multi vendor cloud strategy, which I I think is important. Not that I think even if Jedi had been awarded, I still think that the DOD would have been yeah. a multi-cloud environment. So so I don't think for a second they would have gone all in on one vendor, but um, I think this this ecosystem is going to create opportunities mm-hmm. for cloud service vendors. What does this mean, do you think, for vendors like myself and others going forward as DOD does adopt this multi-cloud initiative? That, that's a very good point, Brian. Um, and 
and something that was uh, wasn't really highlighted. There's a lot of press, right, on, on Jedi and, and now Jay with sure. fighter cloud. Well, when you throw when you throw dollar amounts <laughs> like that at something, you, yeah. you're going to get a lot of press. Of course, of course. Um, but but it's true that that DoD has always embraced this this mix of you know, fit for purpose, they like to call it. And, and enterprise with enterprise cloud, and I think I saw a number of like 100, 100 plus cloud programs that are that are fit for purpose. You know, that are designed for specialized um, you know, applications and use cases. Um, and you know, to answer your question about what it means, well, you know, this, this ecosystem, this fragmented ecosystem, you know, needs cloud service providers. It, it, it needs cloud brokers, integrators. Um, you know, these clouds need to need to play nice with other clouds or, or with the on-prem environment. And, and obviously that with that complexity, that fragmented ecosystem comes a, um, you know, a wide array of, of opportunities for, for cloud service providers, uh, uh, especially also, also in the security and analytic space as well. Um, so it's a win-win, you know, the customer, you know, in this, in this case, you know, big DOD or the service branches have, have access to multiple cloud service providers and, and flexibility when it comes to cloud services that are best suited to their missions. Um, but it also means more opportunities for, for vendors in, in the cloud space. So one of the things in your report you touched on, and it kind of comes back to something we had, we had talked about earlier around climate change, but we've seen mm -hmm. data being shared across borders in a global effort, especially to understand not just climate change, but the COVID-19 pandemic as we develop vaccines. And that, that was obviously a, a driver of cloud. But I'm curious to understand what other ways you see global collaboration happening like this at the federal level? One of the things that I, that kind of sticks out to me, especially on the on the heels of solar winds, I guess, I mean, although maybe, maybe saying the heels of solar winds is inappropriate because it happened coming up uh, about a year ago now. But cybersecurity and sharing of, of uh, attempts at trying to hack into systems and learning from each other, I think is one um, that seems like it could be uh, pretty, pretty much low hanging fruit. But are there other ways that you're seeing collaboration yeah. across borders? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, and that one I've been, I've been asked for before. So I, I love that you asked that, you know, as you were teeing up the question, um, I, I immediately thought of, intelligence, you know, and intelligence, sure. information sharing, uh, which isn't new, um, but that was the first thing that came to mind. And there's obviously going to be a, a, a continued need for that. Um, uh, you, you touched on, on climate science. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the dollars that are going towards, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the climate science R&D and how do we crunch data the right way, process it and, and share it is global in, in, in scale, right? Since um, this is a, a global global issue, so we'll we'll see more of that, and um, we'll also see more sharing across our own government. Um, I mentioned those climate adjacent uh, agencies, so a lot of those dollars are going to go towards you know having NOAA talk to NASA, talk to you know other other parts of the government that have sort of a stake in that. Um, but I also think you know JADC two, which is the the new, um, well not not new. At, at this point, I guess, but it's the sort of the vision by DOD to sort of create this um, this you know infrastructure, this overarching warfighting warfighting concept that where where each of the services 
um, will will play a role in sort of integrating, you know, sensors and um, uh, you know, shared communication infrastructure that that relies heavily on um, you know things like five G and and uh, modeling and, and data storage and things of that things of that nature. Um, I think while the the focus right now is on um, having the the various services. Uh, having that having that concept work within the U.S. Department of Defense, um, no doubt, no doubt that um, the coalitions, our coalition partners, will be that's going to be expanded to to fuse and be able to to interoperate with our our, our allies. So, you know, I think that that's probably a couple of years down the road, but I also think that that's an area where we might see, um, you know, greater focus on sharing data. You know, expanding the JADC2 concept to to incorporate our coalition partners. That's I my think guess. There, there's no specific dollars uh, that I can yeah. point to, but I can see where I can see it going in that direction. I think the DoD, especially, has been really good about bringing on certain emerging technologies that might be mainstream mm-hmm. within government. They, for some, it might be mainstream in, in the private sector for various various entities, but they've been really good about pulling in. You talked about sensors and 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 other things. Do you think, especially on the heels of the pandemic, that the civilian uh, sector will start to catch up, especially as they look to to kind of bridge the gap between what they had before and where they need to get to? Do you think the the, the aggregation and, and the procurement of emerging technologies is something that civilian sector will catch up with within the DoD? Oh yeah, for sure, right? I mean, we see, um, you know, we talked about in the beginning the OTA, the increase. Yeah. It's not just DoD, right? It's not just mm-hmm. DoT, DoD spending. It's it's uh, it's civilian as well. And I think I think you alluded to this. You know, the pandemic has certainly um, been a, a catalyst. Um, we have, you know, certainly in the health IT space, right? There's been a lot of dollars, on the order of billions, spent on that in the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, the different missions, so I don't know if it's necessarily a matter of catching up, but there have been inroads, yes, by civilian sector, specifically in that, that health IT space. And as I mentioned, um, you know, the you know, data analytics around climate, climate science and other, and other areas mm-hmm. where I think there's this, um, uh, I think we'll, we'll see, we'll see a, a, a greater focus. And when you look at the overall budget, um, what what also, and I should have mentioned this in the very beginning when you asked me, you know, what what stood out? It was it was the um, the increase uh, the civilian sector with respect to DoD. So when you add up all the agency you know budget numbers, um, there's a clear tilt, clear tilt towards the civilian sector, um, whereas defense sort of remained uh, some somewhat flat. Um, and I think. A big part of that was, you know, that this focus on, you know, health IT, data analytics, you know, citizen services, right, where, um, uh, you know, new administration, new priorities. And I think we see that reflected in, in the budget. When it, when it comes to health IT, I want you to hold on to that thought for a second, mm-hmm. because I, I want to come back to a question around some of the programs that you see being really uh, opportunistic for certain vendors. But before I get to that, I do, do want to ask, because um, I've been waiting to ask you this question, uh, and it pertains around uh, C- citizen experience or CX. And mm-hmm. it's been a priority from government uh, as of late, especially on the heels of the pandemic. 
more specifically, I think at the state and local levels, right, where it's more tip of the spear delivery of citizen services, but definitely prevalent yeah. within the federal government as well. I'm curious to see where you think the the prioritization around CX is going to be at the federal level, especially in civilian. Yeah, yeah, especially for civilian, right? I mean, when you look at, um, we talked about the technology modernization fund and and while while cybersecurity, you know, zero trust projects are going to win the bulk of awards, um, they the TMF board has said that you know any projects that promote you know are, are citizen facing, um, citizen experience, public facing services will also get to the front of the line. And um, we we saw the Biden administration uh, earlier this year call on agencies to identify bottlenecks, bottlenecks, you know, that, that make their, um, you know, their, their public facing services inaccessible to certain demographics, um, you know, figure out ways to collect more reliable data, you know, on how your, your citizen facing programs could better serve pop, certain populations. Um, and so I think certainly the, the winners, you know, when that gets reflected in you know, contract dollars uh, will be, you know, your agencies like Social Security Administration, you know, IRS, CDC, we've actually already seen dollars, um, uh, more dollars going towards, you know, improving some of the portals and, and things of that, things of that nature, specifically IRS. Um, and, and so there's, yeah, there's definitely in the FY22 budget, a lot of call outs towards, um, you know, citizen facing platforms, um, related to to research, related to things like IRS, information, health IT, you know, information dissemination, that sort of thing. So I think within the world of CX, yes, certainly um, it, it, that's more of a civilian sector story, if, if anything. And um, as I mentioned, you know, Social Security Administration, IRS, CDC, um, among others, will, will certainly uh, be some of the biggest winners as we move into FY22 and 23. Yeah, I think on the DOD side, some of the, because we think of it as, oftentimes when I think of citizen experience, a lot of times my brain goes more to the kind of portal functionality and some of the some of the pieces around omnichannel communication. But yeah. on the DOD side, I think the, the website modernization really, and the portal functionality really revolves around perhaps supplier management, right? And, and managing some of those A&D suppliers that you have going. So um, I think you're right. And and one of the things that you called out, you said there's a clear tilt. I think your report said it was it was a sixteen percent difference um yeah. around civilian versus DOD. So definitely a a big difference in spending. Yeah. And it kinda of, kinda of leads me to this question, because you've mentioned health IT a couple of times, you've mentioned security a couple of times. So give us some cliff notes here. If if I'm a if I'm a IT vendor and I'm looking to attack the federal government this year, what are some what's some low hanging fruit? What are some opportunities? Where, where are the cheat codes, Lloyd? Yeah, I mean, I, I go back to uh, security. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's unfortunate, but it's becoming a ever more you know, clear and present present danger. Um, we we see in the you know we mentioned the TMF awards, um, you know, clear tilt towards uh, cybersecurity. So any sort of you know zero trust cybersecurity uh, related um, solutions are, are are going to um, you know resonate with. With the government, and I, I think there's, um, I think that's even more, more, more apparent. Just you know, over the last you know, few weeks, as we we get more details into what what will come out of the uh, FY22 budget, um, 
you know, I, I think also health by health IT, I mentioned, you know, the, that this is going to be, I think a more, um, you know, we talk about post pandemic, but I think this is going to be something that's going to be with us for, for a while. Right. So, you know, the HHS, you know, specifically NIH, CDC, you know, uh, any sort of solutions that can help us get to not just tracking, you know, vaccine dissemination and, 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 and the, uh, the, the pandemic, but helping us get more predictive uh, when it comes to the next one or the potential next one, right? And it's interesting, I didn't bring this up, but um, getting a little little into the weeds, but the number one, um, uh, the number one funder of health IT related research is actually DOD. <laughs> so you're going to find opportunities through, throughout government when it comes to, um, in terms of placing your big bets, you know, the world of health IT. So that's a security play, right? That's a data analytics play, it's infrastructure, you, you name it. Um, so security and health IT, I, yeah, not a surprise to anyone listening, I'm sure. Um, but I think that's sort of where, um, where a lot of dollars are, are, are going, going to go. And I, I mentioned, you know, climate sciences as well. So before we wrap up, I, I want to give you some, some time to, to give your final thoughts, but I, I want to get your predictions. So over the next year, two yeah. years, five years, where do you see investment going and opportunities going for the federal government? Yeah. So predictions for the future. Um, sure to go wrong, I'm sure, because all no, of mine yeah, always do. Yeah, no, I, th I think, you know, CMMC could become a, uh, you know, a federal standard for the whole of government. I, I'm uh, kind of seeing that too. I think yeah. that's a that's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. You know, DHS. You know, I know they're they're monitoring um, the program, and I know they they've also faced on the Hill some tough questions on whether CMC could have provided or prevented um, some of the high profile uh, critical infrastructure attacks. Um, so I think we're trending in in that direction. Obviously, we got to get it right with DoD first. Um, but it's, so I see that happening. Um, I think we'll also see a greater embrace of, of colorless, colorless money, which is money that's not um, that gives agencies flexibility on how to spend it. So funding that is that can be used both for opex or capex, right? So usually dollars that are appropriated to an agency, they, there's a specific yeah. uh, specific color to it, right? Where they have to use it for O and M, and they have to use it for for development enhancement. Well, that, and we also just saw Congress had oversight and they wanted to see some of the initial recommendations and uh, requests mm -hmm. around budget for the, the TMF. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And so that, that, that whole, the colorless money, the TMF, the, the reprogramming of dollars within a, a budget year, I think we're gonna see continued popularity and training in that direction, which is only good for, for vendors, right? Because it, it gives agencies more flexibility. They're not tied to the yeah. to what they're appropriated um, in in the budget. And then lastly, yeah, I mean OTA. So we we talk about you know we didn't really get, didn't really get into it, but you know the geeky side of me loves some of what you know where the OTA dollars are going, like quantum and and, and AI and machine learning, IoT, and um, while while in some of those areas there are use cases that have been realized. I mean, I think. As we continue into the 2020s, we're going to see more and more use cases around quantum, around machine learning, realized and, and become eventually mainstream. So, um, those are yeah, those are those are my predictions um, for 
yeah, for, for the future. Awesome. Hey, Lloyd, yeah. I really appreciate the time today. And, and thanks for kind of dropping some knowledge bombs on us. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave with our audience today? Yeah, I mean, now is the time. So at the time of this recording, it's, it's October. Um, it, it's, a, it's a October 2021. It's a, it's a good time to help shape future budgets. So agencies are already um, uh, you know, preparing the FY23 budget, um, which will be sent out probably in the February of February timeframe next year. So, you know, now is the time to talk to your customers um, about, you know, their requirements, that sort of thing. And just remember that they, they need our help to figure out what this, as you mentioned, what capabilities and solutions are out there. But, you know, they, they also need help understanding the total cost of ownership for them. Right. And they need help in justifying investment in, in, in your product and, and in order to do that you need you need you need to know you know what you know their mission what their mission gaps are um that sort of thing so yeah i mean i think it's uh we we, we are seeing for I, the it community um you know record record years in terms of it budgets and it's only going up um but the onus is on us to help shape those requirements and now's the time to do it Awesome. I, and I think that really echoes kind of what we've what we've talked about on on this show is the government communities, they're looking for partners. They're not looking for a random IT vendor to come and sell them something and move on. They need somebody who's going to partner with them, help educate them on on what's happening and, and why they need it and how you can help them get there. It's not just a transaction, but it's a it's a relationship. relationship. So I think that's re really, really good feedback. Thank you, Lloyd, again. And thank you for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com and now over at govexec.com. And as always, wherever you access your podcast, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chittistrayb. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.